0: The trading volume in December was 45% higher than what you would typically see in the old reality during the peak season. Let's call it a peak RSP season. Slowest month is 45% higher than <laughs> uh, than like previous records, right? So that's the magnitude of this. This is Erica M, and you're listening to the Mostly Money podcast with Preet Banerjee. When you could be listening to my podcast, The Reinvention of the VJ, get your priorities straight.
1: This is Mostly Money, and I'm your host, Preet Banerjee. And on the show today, I'll be speaking with the president of BMO Investor Line, partly in response a Rob Carrick article and a tweet that we were both tagged in, in which a client of BMO Investor Line was complaining about not being able to get through to a customer service rep to make transactions in their self-directed discount brokerage account. And I'll point out that that seems to be a common complaint across the industry, so we're going to hear his response to that. But first, I need to make a disclosure of a conflict of interest. I consider Silvio to be a friend, and we've worked together on some small projects at his previous firm. We share a love of motorcycles, we bonded over that, and also I've done some work for BMO in the past, I think before Silvio was there. So uh, let me introduce my guest. He's the president of BMO Investor Line, Silvio Storescu. And Silvio, thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to speak with me on the podcast, and welcome to the show.
0: Hey, thanks, Brita. And thanks for the opportunity to uh, to talk through this. I think it's an important topic and uh, it's best for us to be out here chatting about it so people have a better understanding of what's happening.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I'll give some background. So there was a tweet from someone who who tagged us both and they were talking about how they had an issue talking to a customer service rep about uh, some kind of transaction that they wanted to execute or a question that they had. I don't know exactly what their issue was, but they'd said that it'd been a couple of days of trying and the wait times were at sometimes over an hour each time. And as I mentioned, Rob Carrick, arguably the most influential personal finance writer in Canada, wrote an article about this a month ago. And it was an opinion piece, which based on what he had been hearing from readers and seeing online, the number one complaint against discount brokers in general seemed to be the long wait times to speak to anyone across the board. Not This is not just a BMO issue. This was across the board. So let me just start with your response to that.
0: Well, first, allow me to just acknowledge the fact that indeed the wait times are long. Uh, They are a source of frustration for our clients, and we are disappointed to to be in this position and put our clients in a position where they have to wait so long on the phones and we are holding ourselves accountable to close the gap as a matter of fact to work smart and fast uh, to close the gap between capacity available to uh, to handle this level of demand so fully uh, fully acknowledging Preet uh, that uh, it is a challenge it's been a challenging time I would frame this with uh, an analogy of you know we're faced with a tsunami of demand and um This this tsunami has actually flooded all boats. Uh, That's that's what's happening right now. And indeed, look, the reality is we have to work on the boats itself, making sure that we reduce the wait times. The story here is also the tsunami itself, like just a significant exponential increase in demand um, is is uh, the root of of, uh, what we're facing.
1: What do you think is driving all this this demand right now?
0: We should really start with a bit of context, which goes you know, pre-COVID, right? Let's call it pre, uh, pre-last pre spring, which, you know, seems like a very long time ago in hindsight. <laughs> but um, you know, adoption of digital investing was already growing, and it was growing at an accel- accelerated pace. Year over year, you'd see more and more Canadians adopt digital investing. So we were already on this, uh, you know, accelerated curve of adoption. What's happened since March is that curve has just exponentially taken off, right? And... and um, when we ask people before, you know, we expected as you know, pre, we're passionate about digital investing. I know you are too. So we ask people, you know, what's preventing you from actually doing more of the stuff yourself, doing more of it online? The number one answer people provide in that context is time, just lack of time, right? Like I don't have the time to actually make the transactions, make the trades. I don't have the time required to build my level of knowledge. I don't have the time required to actually do all that research. And, you know, it is also a uh emotional component to it right like it's you know if i had the time i'll build my confidence and with confidence I, I would i would do this more and better and and more often right so what's transpired since march is you know people have the time to be able to make um, to to ramp up their knowledge you know, We call it uh, always be learning, right? I, you know, investors that have adopted DIY platforms, self-directed platforms, are in this like always be learning mode, feeding in curiosity to learn about how to trade, how to build their portfolios, how to you know, evolve their learning from cash accounts to opening margin accounts, trading in options, right? So the, the difference, Breed, if I was to sum it up, is just people now have the time to actually feed that curiosity.
1: Yeah, and I think along those lines, there's so many people who are now working from home. And that tends to be people who are working in a knowledge economy type job in front of a computer. And when you're at work in the office place, it's hard to execute trades because people can kind of see what you're doing. But when you're at home... You know, you could be on, you know, the eighth Zoom conference call of the day and you've got a second screen or window open where you're executing your trade. So I imagine just the 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 fact that so many people are working from home and the, and no one is sort of monitoring what they're doing at their desk also affords them the ability to trade, which sounds like... You know, this is behavior that I don't know is in alignment with good investing principles. Uh, we're going to talk about that, but let's, let's go back to this issue about, you know, um, the, the increased demand and how this has put a strain on, on the current system. So you talked about pre-COVID there being an acceleration in digital adoption, but then that hit an inflection point and really increased after the lockdown started. So, can you give us a sense to, um, you know, how long have the long wait times been an issue? Was it before COVID that it started to creep up, and what have the trends been in terms of how long people are waiting to talk to someone?
0: Yeah, let me let me first start it just by adding some quants and and uh, just Mm -hmm. to really size up that demand, right? So, you know, pre-COVID, you'd see an increase in adoption of digital investing, where new client growth would be up by fifteen to twenty percent a year. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that's kind of the, the, the clip that we were seeing as far as increasing adoption. Um, what's transpired since the spring is the number of new clients is up two and a half times compared to previous years. Right. Wow. So you go from, you know, the 15 to 20 percent range to now two and a half times. Trading activity is actually up two and a half times. We've had months where it was up three times year mm-hmm. over year um, just to stay on the trading activity side of things. December, which typically for us pre is a pretty slow month, right? Mm-hmm. December was forty five percent higher. The trading volume in December was forty five percent higher than what you would typically see in the old reality during the peak season. Let's call it a peak RSP season. Slowest month is forty five percent higher <laughs> than uh, than like previous records, right? So that's the magnitude of this. In January so far, we're we're seeing increase of thirty percent. Over December, like we're setting new records and these goalposts keep moving, right? Um, One final soundbite on that, just to give you a sense of the magnitude. uh, Transactions, so this includes, you know, fund transfers as well as account transfers. They're up five times.
1: Five times? First
0: nine days of, five times. First nine days of January, (laughs) so that includes January 1st, right? First nine days of January, we had more transactions than we did in all of January 2020. So that's uh, that, that's that's what we're chasing. If you want to think of it that way, as far as demand is moving, the goalposts keep moving, and we have to ramp up capacity to get there. Um,
1: I have the, so many questions. I have so many questions. Do you have a sense as to where the bulk of transfers are coming from, or any trends where you are saying, "Oh, there is a massive increase in transfers from these types of institutions"? Do you have any anything you can share on that?
0: With time, what you see is not so much the types of institutions, but you know, it's empowerment, you know, this feeling of I'm empowered now, right, with time as a mm-hmm. superpower, frankly, right, to uh, to be able to make my own decision. So, you know, you have uh, some investors that were, you know, uh, delegating their investment decision to either financial planners, advisors in the past or investing in products that were that didn't require them to be more hands on, you know. Package portfolios um, that where you're delegating even that investment management decision, not just the advice component to a financial planner. So we're seeing you know these clients saying, "Look, I, I I'm going to do more on my own right now." So that's that's part of the trend. The second, when you look at the makeup of the client base on self-directed platforms, about two thirds of the client base, so I'm going to say, you know, in the old reality, <laughs> two thirds of the client base were clients over fifty-five. Mm-hmm. Well, we've seen since uh, the spring, two thirds of the growth is actually driven by clients under 35. So you tend to have more people that are new to investing, the ones that were already trading on the platforms are consolidating their investments, right? So if they had cash and savings accounts elsewhere, or different uh, investment accounts, uh, through a different approach to investing, they're consolidating more towards a self-directed platform. So those are some of the themes that we're seeing.
1: And when it comes to people who are making transfers, how long does it take to complete a transfer? Because I know that that's an issue within the industry as well. Usually it's the the relinquishing uh, institution that is kind of holding things up as long as they can. But how long does it take to transfer an account these days?
0: Well, look, we're we're in transition there. I should say from you know the the old process, which mm-hmm. everything has to be mailed, right? So you know if, if that's the process that uh, the actual transaction lands in, you're looking at anywhere between four to sometimes eight weeks. Uh, there's also a more automated process, which actually makes it happen in less than two weeks, right? So and that continues to to, to get even better. So um, not all transactions can go through the automated process, so it, it does take a little bit longer. And as you can imagine, as you're waiting for your funds to arrive. You you naturally would call in to look for an update, right? And and you want to know what's going on. And there's sure. you know there's not a lot of transparency in that process as far as having a really good pulses, <laughs> you know where where that account transfers uh, sitting every day.
1: So we have okay, so we've got increased, dramatically increased trading activity. We've got a lot of people transferring accounts. What do people call in about? Like I have to be um, honest, you know, uh, of all the discount brokers I've ever used in I don't know decades. I've never called in for anything, but I'm in the industry or at least was. And, you know, this is kind of what I do. So I don't need as much help, I would think as the average person. But what do people call into a discount broker uh, about? What are the the common types of customer service questions?
0: Well, just based on the sheer increase in demand, I'd say there are questions that you would have typically had before, obviously, you know, at a different magnitude, different level of volume, right? And and these include, you know, how long where's my transfer where's my account transfer how long does this take Um, the the conversation we just had around that process Um, you have people that sometimes forget their their passwords right so if you Mm -hmm. haven't traded for a long time if you get your password these are all just admin maintenance type of transactions we've done a lot of work to make sure that the online capabilities a are simple intuitive and people are aware they can do this stuff online so we've navigated a lot of these transactions and are navigating a lot of these transactions online if I was to sum up, again, the theme as far as why people are calling, I'd say for one is leveling up. And let me let me unpack that a little bit. So we have a lot of new investors that hadn't invested in self-directed platforms. So either they, they were new to investing altogether, so they're leveling up now to say, okay, I'm going to start investing and I'm actually going to do this on my own in a self-directed platform. So that requires you to build a level of knowledge and you ramp up with a learning curve from that perspective. Uh, you have another segment of investors who, again, were delegating their investment decisions to an advisor, a financial planner. Now they're saying, "I'm going to do this on my own." So they're technically leveling up, and mm-hmm. also on a on a learning curve in that journey as well. And then you have people that had been trading on a self directed platform before, but maybe they had a cash account. Let's call it you know, the basic account, or an RSP account, or a TFSA. What they're saying now is, I, I want to do more, right? And they're opening up margin <laughs> accounts, and and they're they're building capabilities to to learn how to trade options. So they're learning about that process as well. So this leveling up is actually happening on such a you know, broad range of, uh, of investor segments, which naturally leads to uh, to, to calls into this. And as you know, Preet, on these platforms, we don't provide advice,
1: mm-hmm. but when
0: you go through a learning curve. You, yeah. you you want to you want to speak to a human right to actually give you some validation and some comfort in that process as well so um, I would I would sum it up with that as is the core theme for why you're seeing uh, you know the increase in calls obviously again complemented the fact that you just got a sheer increase in demand
1: and and how many customer service reps did you do you have right now? what are the plans to address these wait times are you, are you doing anything to to ramp up capacity? Join me for insightful interviews with thought leaders and industry experts. We discuss how optimizing supply chains can break down the barriers that are holding businesses back. That's All Business, No Boundaries by DHL Supply Chain. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Yes, look. This is our top priority. Has been our top priority. So let me just go back to a question you asked earlier, right? Like, you know, how long have the wait times been an issue? Um, when you look at the average for 2020 calendar year, our wait time average was 12 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. So um, we've been hovering around 40 minutes average at the beginning of January. Just to put all that into perspective, this the the last quarter of uh, of 2020 was when we started seeing. You know, more of this challenge coming through so if you think about what it looked like for the first three quarters of the year we had average wait times you know, in in less than two minutes uh, one minute in, in some cases as well uh, we had events like march for example is an event that third week of march where we all started working from home all of a sudden and things were happening in the market you know there, there was that was a bit of a week that was an anomaly i'd say in the context of uh, 2020 at least the first half of the year um, we also had long wait time in an event going back a couple of years ago, when the cannabis sector was was gaining prominence and trading in that that sector was gaining prominence, right? So, but that was an event. It had a start date and it had an end date, right? Right. Um, but beyond that, I mean, you're looking at an average of two three minutes uh, wait times. Now, average means obviously the longest call will be longer than that, and you have a big percentage of calls that are under that as well. Um, that's that's where we stand. So it's uh, it's been a more pronounced challenge on the wait times front especially uh November December and uh kicking off the year in January
1: now you know when you are um managing people's accounts there's a big responsibility in terms of security and and the technology infrastructure that you have so um i imagine that your your call Service reps um, were also sent to work from home in some cases or not allowed to come into normally where they would work. So can you tell me what that was like? Like, Where were the reps? Where are they now? And how has that sort of been a a variable that needed to be accounted for?
0: The bulk of that uh, mobilization happened in March and April. Right. And a hundred percent of our agents were actually working from a physical location, um, physical contact center, one in Montreal, one in uh, a couple in, in Toronto, one in Mississauga as well. Um, and. We've mobilized to have them work remote. First of all, we still had some folks working in the physical locations as we do today. So we had to address the spacing just for health purposes and making sure that we had the right distancing um, within our physical locations. Um, We have the capability now where 80% of our agents can work from home. So there's also a bit of rotation where some choose to work from home and they rotate and come into work from a physical location um, every now and then on a rotational basis. That's where we are today, um, fully activated. And um, if you think about how fast that happened—a metabolic pace—that that it needed to happen in the first couple of months. Um, you know, that's—I would say—we checked that box primarily, right? So what we're facing now is not a matter of navigating how we mobilize remote work; it's just simply, you know, keeping up and catching up to the goalposts on demand that that are moving. Um, and look, the other question. Uh, you asked was, what have we done, right, to, to mobilize and how do we ramp up the staffing? Mm-hmm. We started this back in the summer, right? So um, we said a couple of things we need to do. First of all, we need to ramp up our hiring and we need to do more of, more hire more people in the old process, which is, you know, hire, recruit first, hire, train in physical locations and just do more of that. Um, that, the, the magnitude increase there is four, four times. Like we quadrupled, the size of new hires um, from, you know, this entire process starting with recruitment to to hire into training, which takes months, right? So think about that as up 4X, again, exponential increase in what we've done to to improve capacity. The second thing we've done is looked across the business, not just our investor line business, but across the bank to say, can we actually attract more talent to actually help with the capacity? The um, last training class we had, the numbers increase seven times from what we would have typically had. Like this, the training class that is actually active right now, um, and will be on the floor answering calls and productive in the queues in a couple of weeks. It's, it's seven times higher than what we had prior to uh, to us seeing the Speak in Demand. So we started this process pretty back in the summer. Mm-hmm. We've been sprinting through the marathon to to make sure that we we ramp up the capacity, and we've also done on the hiring front. We've actually changed how we hire. Right, So it's one thing to say we're going to do more of the same in that old process, but we also activated what we refer to as street to screen. And this is remote remote uh, recruitment, remote hiring, remote training, remote activation into the queue. So you don't have to set foot into a context in it to be able to do that. That's a transformational process. And we had the first uh, class as part of that uh, new process actually started training at the beginning of January. So that's what we've done on the hiring front. And then Phil Lobby, one one more comment on this. Please. We also looked at how do we contain and address more of this demand online on the platform, right? Mm-hmm. So we looked at all these you know, micro journeys that led to a call. And we said, we have to get better at improving that journey online, make it more intuitive, and also build awareness that it exists. All the efforts we've done on that front, as well as simplifying some legacy process just to make it easier, some things that we've done before that we said, you know, there's little value in this. And it's just an impediment for our clients to stop doing it we measure our trades to call ratio just as a measure of efficiency the trades to call ratio has increased 65% as a result of us uh, being able to contain more online so we're we're in, we're on the right track the reason why we still have a gap today is the impact from that exponential increase in demand has been imminent right and once the goalposts move you feel that the very same day the impact from our activities on capacity have a bit of a time lag, right? Which you know include mm-hmm. especially on the hiring front, recruit, hire, train, and license, right? Like that's a uh, that's a nuance we shouldn't forget in the context of our agents. Um, they also need to be licensed and, and build their uh, proficiency requirements as well. Yeah, I
1: was going to ask you because so Investor Line is uh, OEO, right? So it's no, it's not advice. So sorry, um, order execution only. And, and so people who who create an account there. They are basically taking all responsibility for the riskiness of their trades and you are execution services only for those platforms. So when it comes to the licensing that's required for these reps, what, what do they need to, what license do they need?
0: Well, look, they need. They still need to be fully IROC licensed. So mm-hmm. they, they don't provide advice, but they have to go through all the proficiency requirements, including the course on ethics, the Canadian securities course, which, which has two parts to it. So they have to be fully, fully licensed. Uh, and if they're supporting trades and options, for example, they also have to have that, that licensing as well. And so even though they don't provide advice, the proficiency requirements are, are full-fledged.
1: The conversation with Silvio Stroescu continues in a moment, but I wanted to give a shout-out to some listeners who have left some kind reviews for the show. Doug M34, SG180360, on 7 and Brent Bowker. Thank you for taking the time to leave ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. I also wanted to let you know that I just published a crash course on what's really been happening with GameStop. I'm sure you've heard that name this past week, and I know you have questions. Why has a mall-based retailer of physical copies of video games, some would argue, assumed soon-to-die business model, given that you can download copies of video games and order consoles online, why have they seen their share price up as much as 10,000% in just one year? Most of that in the last month. What is a short squeeze? What else is really happening? So you can check that out on YouTube. My main channel can be found under my name, Preet Banerjee. And before we get back to Silvio, if you are enjoying the content on this podcast, I really do appreciate it when you take the time to leave a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. And I don't run ads on the podcast yet, but that might change in the future. And in the meantime, I guess I'll provide some kind of placeholder and I'll I'll I don't know, do some public service announcements or something like that, again, just as a placeholder. So, I don't know, get your prostate checked or something. Anyways, back to my conversation with the president of BMO Investor Line, Silvio Stroescu. Now, I want to just pull from the headlines. So, I'm sure you're familiar with GameStop and the gamma squeeze that um, almost bankrupted. I think uh, one hedge fund. I think it was Melvin Capital had to get bailed out by some other hedge funds because, basically, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the redditors on this this Reddit called Wall Street Bets have pushed up the price of GameStop so high. That um, it's it's forced a, a short covering, and it's it's kind of embarrassed, like these professional, you know, money managers. Um, it's kind of funny to watch, but there is so many people who are subscribed to that that Reddit. There, I think it's like two million active users or something like that, and they are driving the the market price for you know this security and some other ones. And so, um, when someone calls in, and do they? What's the training around getting a call that says, "Hey"? I want to buy GameStop. I want to buy call options. Should I do that? Like, I'm assuming they get asked, uh, you know, hey, do you think this is a good idea? What's the training around that for an order execution only platform?
0: Well, look, you're you're not diving deeper into the, you know, whether you should or shouldn't, right? But what we do is we say, uh, you know, we ground in principles, right? So, you know, typically would say like, all right, so how does that fit? You know, does that fit with your plans? Like we don't even get into how does, it, does that fit with your plans? And if you think, you know, if it fits with your plans and you've got a deliberate reason for it, then, um, you know, it's your decision, right? So we don't get into the advice on whether you should do it, you know, shouldn't do it. Um, you know, we do feel the effect of it, right? So you do see yeah. an increase, you know, slight increase in volume as well when those things do happen. Um, but the extent of it is just to to make sure that we just help groundings in, in some principles, right? As opposed to telling you whether uh, or not you should do it or whether it makes sense for you.
1: Yeah. Um, last thing on this this overall issue about capacity. So you've you've you mentioned that one class is seven times the normal uh, intake for people that you're training for these positions. Now, do you have a sense as to whether or not this demand is going to be temporary? Or uh, do you feel that there is going to be a sustained level for this type of trading activity?
0: I believe uh, it's you know what we're seeing is not an event right and I made reference earlier to cannabis and I talked about that as an event like it started on X date and it kind of you know sizzled off on on this y date right um, that's not what we're seeing here we're not seeing an event. we were seeing an acceleration of adoption, and to me, this is an inflection point in that adoption of digital investing breed. so um, that's um that that's that's our, our view for it. Now, I don't believe we're going to see the you know trading volume for January become the norm, right? I mean, right. Now, again, we just set a new record, thirty percent higher, right? So I don't think this will be the norm. But if you think about where we were in the previous peaks and what I referenced around RSP season in December, just blew that out of the water. The new reality, the new norm, will actually be higher than the previous peaks. That's that's where I see this uh, landing up. So it's somewhere between the previous records as far as monthly trading activity. And uh, slightly below the, the the peaks that we're seeing. And I'd argue, and I expect what we're seeing in January and February will actually be our peaks, right? And it will level off um, beyond that. And, and the main reason for, for that and just informing that perspective is... Um, during the, the cannabis sector trading event, right? You didn't see as many new clients join the platform, right? And, and if there was a blip and there was, it wasn't as sustained, right? Now we're seeing this like two and a half times increase in new clients join the platform and it's been happening, right? And continues to happen and, and uh, it continues to grow. So, um, just- Primarily based on that and the sentiment, and, and frankly, just some other macro elements around. All of us have lived digitally for what is it nine mm-hmm. ten months now, right? And we likely will for for a few more months, right? So has it
1: only been nine or ten months? God, yeah. it feels like forever. So, it's, <laughs> it's, it's
0: it's just reset, right? How we live our lives and how we do things, right? So uh, to me, this is this is sustainable beyond uh, what we're seeing.
1: Right now. now, there have been other sort of investment stories that have been catching the eyes of investors and uh, headline writers. Uh, certainly with GameStop, uh, we also saw Bitcoin had another run up and, and a bit of a, a drop as well. And so when people have the ability to access you know, the markets much more easily than they ever had before, there are some risks that people can do real damage to their own portfolios. What are your thoughts or plans on how do you address that? Because certainly there are going to be some people who are just not going to listen to advice. They're going to listen to a forum or they're going to read, uh, you know, take some kind of trading course and, and, you know, they're fine. They're big. They're adults. They could do that. But there are some people who are going to say, OK, I I got interested because of this headline in Bitcoin or GameStop or people have been making a lot of money, even though the economy doesn't seem to reflect that. And they're now interested enough to say, okay, I want to open up an account. I want to empower myself a little bit more. What can you do at a self-directed brokerage to help guide people who may be in need of some help, but for whatever reason, they're just not going to go full service. They still want to do it themselves, but what what are their options? I know that there are some guided portfolios, um, all-in-one ETF ticket solutions, what have you. What do you recommend to people who are coming, but they need just a little bit more than just you know, no advice. What are the options?
0: So first, look, uh, it's just, I would phrase it as grounding in North Star, right? Like, so first of all, articulate what your North Star is. And I use grounding in North Star deliberately, right? So understand why you're doing this in the first place, right? Like, you know, and, and it goes back to having a deliberate perspective on you know why you're joining a platform why you're investing in the first place and, and in many cases you know i suggest even writing it down and conversations that i have with my friends as well is hey write it down like, again write it down for yourself not for anybody else just write it down so you actually understand why you started doing this in the pr- first place and what your intent is right off the bat um, and, and then we say you know the the tenets around investing like the Principles that have been around for a long time. They're still the same today, right? I mean, you know fundamentals are harder to 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 pin down You know in in this market, right? But the the actual tenets of investing are still the same, right? So think about diversification You know think about how do you make sure that you've crystallized your goals and what you're doing is actually in alignment with those goals, right? So those those tenets still apply Preet and um, that the, the, the third element of this, I'd say, is just, man, the power of advice and that importance of advice. Like, you know, it, it, we're talking about trends in self-directed platforms. I'll tell you, I would compliment that with the, the need for advice is, is even higher now, right? So um, what we've done in the context of the digital platform, you have folks that are adopting self-directed platform because they want to do more on their own, right? And they want to be able to make their own decisions, but they're also looking for validation, right? They're beyond just the conversations around help me understand and get more comfortable to know what I'm doing and how I should do this stuff. They're also looking for validation. We created a service called Advice Direct. And in this context, you actually have advice. So we do provide you guidance on how to build your portfolio, how to make sure that it's well diversified, how to rebalance your portfolio along the way to make sure that it stays aligned with your goals. So there's a digital tool that provides you advice and guidance on how to build and manage your portfolio. And then you also have access to uh, an advisor so someone that actually can speak to you and complement the actual digital tools with with uh, a human being the nuance here is that you still place the trade yourself that you're still working on the platform making the trade yourself but you have mm-hmm. the benefit of complementing you know your your intent to do more on your own with uh, support from this digital tool and uh, and the advisor and even prior to uh, prior to the, the spring and prior to March, we saw adoption of that platform growing exponentially as well. And uh, that continues, right? So um, it's, it's, it's just thinking differently about how do we now build services and build awareness of services that already exist and, and make sure that we're helping uh, folks that way. We also launched a portfolio health check. So this is something that we've been working on since the spring where we saw this happening. We said, well, what's the next step? You know, what would investors look for beyond this and what would be the step after that? So using some foresight back in the spring, um, we built a portfolio health check tool, which Helps you now run your portfolio through this tool and identifies. First of all, it asks you, you know, what are your goals? And remember the ground that we talk about, it starts off with that to identify why you're doing this in the first place. So it helps you with that self conversation of grounding uh, and, you know, grounding in your North Star. And then it actually, you put in your holdings and uh, we then give you an output. That uh, talks about the health of your portfolio. So are you well diversified across sectors, geographies? Is your asset allocation in line with, um, with your goals and, and um, you know, what does that look like overall? So we've just launched that a couple of weeks ago and uh, it's available on our site. Happy to share a link so we can include it for listeners of the podcast as well. That's uh, that that you know. That's one of the tools we keep, which can complement what you have on the platform. And uh, and frankly, look, we're seeing adoption of those services grow. Advice Direct, for example, December record month as well for for new accounts and clients joining that platform. And uh, this tool, I I, I imagine, will uh, will get a lot of traction as well.
1: Yeah, I, I think that this hybrid model where you have you know um, digital tools with access to to advice seems to be a model ripe for for growth. Like that seems like the next paradigm. But what about cux? There are a lot of people who well, there are different reasons people go to a self directed platform. One is pure empowerment. They just want to trade on their own. Um, their cost might end actually end up going up versus using advisor if they're heavy traders. Uh, but there are a lot of people who who move to self directed platforms because they explicitly want to save on costs. And so they might go to either a you know a super long buy and hold portfolio, uh, buying individual stocks and build out a portfolio, or they might use a couch potato strategy with index funds, what have you. But there are a lot of people who are kind of in between those extremes. So so talk to me about wh- what is the cost for Advice Direct, and what's the cost for this portfolio check? Is that like a free tool available on the platform? Do you have to pay for these two different types of services? Talk to me about costs.
0: Yeah. So look, uh, first, the portfolio health check, it's a free tool. So um, you, you plug in some information, you know, we have some information about your profile and, and um, we, we guide you on how to identify that North star and then the output uh, with, with uh, flags to say, look, Preet, you should be reviewing your diversification and so on, all that is free. Um, that is a sliver of the portfolio optimization engine that we have within the Advice Direct. So it gives you a sense, a test drive, if you will, of what Advice Direct could do for you. Uh, but this component of it is, is free. Now, if you want to pursue that further and set up a, an Advice Direct account, so you have these types of um, notifications and you know us telling you when you should make some changes to your portfolio because you need to realign with your goals, then you'd go into the, the full tool for Advice Direct. The pricing for that is 75 basis points. And um it's tiered as well. So there is a cap once once you get to a certain threshold of investable assets, you know, becomes capped. And that cap is at thirty seven hundred, thirty-seven fifty off the top of my head as far as what, what the overall cap is. So the more you have invested in that, the more you benefit uh from uh from the service, uh, and also from a pricing perspective. It also includes a number of free trades as well, so you're not paying for the fee as well as as trades, right? So that's a, that's a good combo there. Um and just you know the the if you look at who's trading on a self-directed platform, majority of, of, of the investors are actually investors, you know, the buy and hold type that you reference, right? So um, what you see as far as active traders, you know, they're anywhere between five to 6% of all the investors on a platform. And by active traders, I mean, they do more than 10 trades a month, right? So uh, the, the bulk of the mm-hmm. investors on a platform tend to be more of the you know buy and hold, rebalance, longer term investors.
1: Do you do you have a sense as to the average hold period for uh, someone on your platform like when they buy any position do you have any idea what the average hold time is
0: um well so i mean if you're long-term investor's i mean you would uh, you know these people are holding until they reach their goals right mm-hmm. um so so that's uh, i would say the, you know, the bulk of it would be that um now average hold time per security um i i don't have to break down on that to say how much they hold to each security because naturally people rebalance their their portfolios but as far as how long they stay invested and you know how much they stay invested and how that stays you know uh consistent across uh, across their tenure um I, you have more of those buy and holds um even in March right when we saw a lot of volatility I mean the the activity that happened was you know not people would just buying jumping in and out of, of holding or, or securities you also had existing clients especially retirees that were actually de-risking their portfolios right so in that case it looked like they were selling out but you know they were uh, they were de-risking just to have um frankly more, more available to them in cash and uh, you know in many cases probably supplement retirement incomes and making sure the cash is there to be able to do that
1: you know, speaking of cash, um, one of the things that we've noticed is that um, people are looking at, at this as kind of like a tale of two economies. Uh, you have people who have been um, affected negatively the most. They tend to be on the lower end of the income spectrum, working in retail jobs, um, the jobs most affected by lockdowns and restrictions. And they are been you know completely decimated. And then you have a lot of people who are more uh, kind of white-collar, Who are able to work behind a computer either from an office or from a home office. And so they may not have necessarily lost any income, but they've lost the ability to spend because they're not able to travel. And for a lot of people, you know, not traveling is like, you know, five grand extra in your pocket, not going out to restaurants as often, uh, putting extra money in people's pockets. So we see that there are some people who are actually sitting on a lot more cash than they've ever had access to before and they're putting it into their investment accounts, are they sitting in cash or are they deploying that? Do you have any sense of that?
0: So uh, look, savings rate is up overall, just to, just to build on your point as well. And I think mm-hmm. that's a healthy thing. That's a really good thing. And I think people are also reacting to you know the shock that that uh, we all faced in, in March. And, and people that didn't have... Um, a lot of savings for, or the emergency funds top top to be able to withstand that type of exogenous shock, you know, they're they're ramping that up. So I think there's, there's an element of that as well. Um, when you look at our platform, the younger clients, so let's call them clients under 35, which you and I could consider ourselves in that category once upon a time, pre, but younger <laughs> clients younger clients are actually deploying more cash. If you index to, you know, typically new clients come in and let's say they're bringing in 100,000, how much that 100,000 gets deployed, um, more of the the initial cash coming into the account is being deployed by the younger investors, right? So they're they're looking for you know time in
1: the market <laughs> as opposed to
0: timing the market, right? Um, and then you also have um, older clients, retirees in particular. They've de risks, right? So they have higher cash positions. As, as we just talked about, potentially think about how do I supplement my incomes, right? And, you know, the, the income that I used to get from bonds and the, the, the fixed income component of my portfolio is not paying what it used to. So I need mm-hmm. to have some cash to be able to supplement that. And frankly, you know, I, I don't know how long this takes, right? So I want to make sure that I'm covered there. So I'd say, you know, those are smart decisions, right? Again, you know, it's not every single client, but if you roll it up, you know, that's, uh, that's the view that we see from a higher vantage point. Um, and then you have um, some folks that are just looking for opportunities, right? And just waiting for that opportunity. And I think, again, that whole, um, uh, th- this whole idea of like timing the market actually beats timing the market applies to that. But I think for the most part, cash just, the role of cash has expanded and, mm-hmm. and either, you know, be able to protect myself, supplement my income, make sure that I have savings to respond to exogenous, ca- exogenous shocks. I see that uh, the role of cash has expanded, and um, you know over indexing towards people that are holding cash is really uh, you know those that have to depend on that as far as retirement income.
1: All right. Um well, we'll leave it there, but uh, I want to thank you so much for for coming on the podcast and sort of addressing the concerns that have been raised by various writers and people tweeting at us both. Uh so I, I appreciate your candor in addressing that. Interesting times to say the least. Um when this is all over, are you going to uh are you going to upgrade your bike or are you happy with your bike? What's going on?
0: hey uh, look we're, we're, we're celebrating and what we're celebrating <laughs> frankly it's just that bigger story of the tsunami of demand right I mean look it's, it's a privileged position to be in an industry that sees that level of demand so uh, so super super happy about this and thanks for giving me the opportunity Preet to, to jump on here uh, we have to be responsive as you know through social channels and making sure that uh, our clients understand what's happening and why and what we've done about it just in terms of our accountability uh, I'm not upgrading my bike now I have a bike that I'm, I'm happy with right now my goal would be to get out there a little bit more and ride a bit more next summer and uh that's uh, that's the goal for the year but uh it's not a year of the upgrade i actually uh, i love the ride i'm in right now how about it's,
1: you i oh, well, listen i'm not allowed to get a new motorcycle I, um what ended up happening was my partner was on the balcony and we overlooked the gardener and um i think you know this but i had a ducati and it was stolen and um, I've been thinking about getting a new bike to replace it. And she's out on the balcony. I was in the office, and all of, all of a sudden, I just hear this 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 yell: "You are not allowed to get a new bike!" I'm like, what the heck happened? <laughs> Someone just got smoked on the highway, right, like in front of her, like from the balcony she could see. So that pretty much was the nail in the coffin i am not allowed to get under the bike that she knows of so <laughs> but they're
0: always they're always tracks right tracks are also an option right <laughs>
1: exactly yeah exactly yeah. there's private roads there's uh, the drag strip there's dirt biking uh, yeah. we'll see thank you so much silvio it's uh it's been a pleasure
0: likewise pleasure to connect and thanks for uh for the opportunity cheers and keep safe